Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Andrea Askwitz. I'm Zarina Fry. I'm Allison Langer, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today on our show, we have a special guest host, Zarina Fry. Zarina has been taking our classes for years, and now she teaches one of our first draft classes on Wednesday night from 6 to 7 Eastern time. Zarina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. It's going down. It's, it's happening. Going down. <laughs> I wish our podcast could see Serena the way she's like smiling so big, like her eyes are tiny slits. She's like so, so nervous about like where her name comes up on the on the. And script. she's wearing a writing class radio T-shirt, so she's wearing our swag. I am Check ready. Our website for swag. I am here for it. Serena, tell us a little bit about who you are. Like, give us a quick bio. My God, you guys don't have time for that. Just give us the the cliff notes. I'm a poet. I write SEO content. I'm coming near the end of my MFA in creative writing, which is focusing on poetry and creative nonfiction. It does matter. It is worth it because storytelling is all that we see on TV and in our uh, mobile devices. If we didn't have the written word and with our short attention spans, we have to learn how to say a whole lot and very little. And that's what poetry is. So that's my little soapbox for why I spent so much money. <laughs> MFA. Um, was was Rita going to cry when she said that on the money part? <laughs> Where are you getting your MFA? Converse. University. It's in South Carolina. So that's a whole other thing right there. Just just going to the South to learn literature and I should say to master literature, just being immersed in the culture and meeting other Southern poets, other Black women, Southern poets is just an experience all in itself. It's something I would have never probably have done if I didn't pursue my MFA in the South. Be on the lookout. I'm working on my manuscript of poetry that even you will love to read, Allison. <laughs> well, if, if I can understand it, you know, I don't get, I, I, I don't understand poetry because I'm so slow. I don't get jokes. I, I need them. I need things explained, but I'm sure I will dive in and learn and, and enjoy it. Well, yeah, my style is not so obscure. Mm-hmm. So that's why you'll like it. I want to interrupt you for a second. Zarina Fry did a spoken word poem on our podcast. It was episode 82 and it was called The Poet's Response to Senseless Violence. And it was so powerful and beautiful and important. And so 
please go back to episode 82 and listen to Zarina read her poetry. Yay! Woo! Today on our show, we're talking about speculative memoir. If you don't know what that is, well, you're not alone. I had no idea what that was either until our retreat in um, Guatemala this past February, 2022. This is when Andrea gave out a prompt and read what she wrote and everyone was like, damn. Anyway, after hearing this episode, hopefully you'll understand a new way of thinking about telling the truth. Imagination is a form of truth as long as the narrator establishes what she's doing, right? So if that's the case, then anything goes. On today's episode, Andrea shares her story and we hope you'll like it. The story that I'm about to read came out of a prompt and I gave the prompt, how did it all start? And what I was trying to get at was to write a story about a time that you were not present, either your moment of conception or your moment of birth. And this, obviously the narrator was not there in real time. So, but the reader, the listener, I hope will understand that. Right. Because usually we think it's a point of view violation to write about things that you can't possibly know. And so this is one of them. But in order to skirt around the point of view violation, you have managed to put this in a way that makes us trust you. Right. Let's hope that that's true. That's what I'm hoping for. Back with Andrea's story after the break. I'm Allison Langer. And every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you are listening to Writing Class Radio. Up next is our very own Andrea Askwitz reading her story called Then and Now. A few days ago, my wife and I walked down the cobblestone streets of Antigua, Guatemala. 54 years ago, my parents walked down the same cobblestone streets. There were flowers everywhere, then too. I couldn't tell you what kind, but I know they were planted four days after the new moon because I learned that Mayans plant according to the moon. Mayans are ancient people whose customs and wisdom have been passed down generations. My mom knows flowers from years spent in the garden club, but I didn't inherit this knowledge. My parents had been married six years when they made that trip to Antigua, Guatemala, in 1967. They were totally in love, at least my mom was, because this was still the beginning. My brother had already been born, a one-year-old, and was left back in the States with my grandma Ruth. My mom never stopped loving my dad, 
not even after she took up women's lib and the inequities became clear to her. She developed a slow rage because of the way society treated women. My mom graduated cum laude from the University of Miami, but in 1962, she didn't go to law school like her brother did. She was given three options, nurse, teacher, wife. She chose teacher wife and taught seventh grade English to put my dad through optometry school so he could become an eye doctor. My mom stopped working to raise my brother and me. She joined the Garden Club, the Quilt Guild, the National Organization for Women. She needed interests of her own. She had interests of her own. She made dinner for my dad and her children until I was old enough to fend for myself, and she spent more time exploring her interests. Now I make dinner for my children, but so does my wife. We switch off. Cook or clean is our policy. I don't remember my dad cleaning, not once. Even though my dad understood the limitations put on women, he took my mom's rage personally. There was the time he took a ski trip with his buddies instead of her, and so she sold his Cadillac. There was the time she had thyroid surgery, and he was as good as a toddler taking care of her. Fuck him, she said, but that's not why he cheated. Or maybe her anger in his position in society is exactly why he cheated. Men cheated. But even after all that, even today, 23 years after their divorce, I still see something in her eyes when she looks at him. My mom is loyal, and so am I. People who know us well often say, apple tree, apple tree. It was 1967. They were alone on a trip to Antigua, Guatemala. Why Guatemala? No say. My parents were curious. They wanted to see and do things. They wanted their children to see and do things too, like the time we drove from Miami to Alaska. I was 12 on that trip. I read Wifey in the van we sometimes slept in. I remember the scene where the wife lay in the sun, something about her bush in the heat. Even now, I feel a little thrill when I think of that long drive to Alaska and the wife in that Judy Bloom book I may have been too young to read. In 1967, I didn't feel anything because that day in Antigua at the hotel, maybe even the same hotel my wife and I stayed in just days ago, I wasn't even considered yet. Unless, and this is possible, my mom conjured me, but not so she and I could repeat the relationship she had with my grandma Ruth, but so she could relive the role of mother-daughter differently. So my mom could have a child who could run free in the yard with the neighborhood kids and not worry about getting overheated. So my mom could raise a child to love or at least like how she looked and not be flown to New York City at 16 for a nose job. Conjuring was passed down to me. It was something I just knew. And at 34, when I was ready to have a child of my own, I got pregnant using donated sperm. People on the street said I was having a boy. Something about caring out in front and not losing my looks, whatever it was. Everyone had a theory. But I had a dream. And in the dream, the baby was long and lean, dressed in a white onesie with dark curly hair, a girl. I set in motion a repeat of the relationship I have with my mom. In the summer of 1967, 40 weeks before I was born, my mom probably came out of the bathroom in a towel. Or no, my dad came out in his towel, the hotel towel, 
not the one he wore 24 seven on weekends my entire childhood. My dad wore a brown terry cloth skirt held together by Velcro. The image might sound creepy, a middle-aged man padding through the house in just a skirt, but I see it more relaxed. On weekends, my dad was always taking a nap or waking up from one. That night in their hotel room in Antigua, my dad came out of the bathroom in the hotel towel. He was small and muscular with dark skin, hairy chest, dark eyes and dark, short, curly hair, big lips and perfect teeth. While my mom waited eager under the covers. My mom told me years later, she always, always said yes. They always said yes to each other. So nothing needed to be said when my dad dropped his towel on the floor and slipped into the bed where my mom waited. She was naked and beautiful, big breasts, which you may want to psychoanalyze, not her breasts, but my love and appreciation for large breasts on other women that developed as I grew up. My mom was self-conscious under the covers because even with those breasts and long legs and her round and impossibly blue eyes against black hair, she never felt beautiful. I hope she felt close enough in that moment. I think she did because that's the moment when the conjuring began. This was the moment my mom, the witch woman, and my dad, the peasant man from the poor side of town, came together and made me. I don't know this for sure, but I think it was four days after the new moon. Very cool. Very, very cool. I want to start with Zarina because I've already heard this once when Guatemala in February. So I think from being hit with it for the first time, I would love to get Zarina's um, impression, like what worked, what didn't work. Did she trust you? Did like what? Everything. I was really fascinated with just the turns where she was taking us into the past and then bringing seamlessly bringing us back into the future. And I think that's why this is such a successful piece of speculative memoir writing. I detected the first turn when the narrator says that the mother put the dad through optometry school. And so that made me lean in with interest because she builds this description of the mother of being this independent. What was the word that she used, Allison? was like um, she took up women's lib yeah women's lib that already gave the reader you know an idea of who this woman is and then so for the turn to be that she put her husband through optometry school is like okay what's going on here and so it just makes you Uh, a little bit more interested in how this story is going to evolve. She also graduated cum laude from the University of Miami, but didn't go to law school like her brother. Is she supposed to talk? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. I think we need to talk just a second about speculative memoir, and I know absolutely nothing about it. So if, Zarina, you know anything about this, you're, feel free to jump in. Or, Andrea, if you guys want to just discuss it and what it meant, like having these contracts with the reader or, you know, whatever it is. Let's talk about that because I think that's really important for people to know. So I'm familiar with the term speculative fiction. 
speculative memoir is the first I've, I've heard of it. it. The term for speculative fiction is a broad category of elements that do not exist in reality, recorded history, nature, or the present universe. So to coin the term speculative memoir is almost a little controversial as creative nonfiction, right? But as writers, you can make up stuff <laughs> and, and you're allowed. Uh, once you get to the point where you know what you're talking about and you know how to write, then you can do things like what Andrea just did here and create this braided memoir that strings the reader in and out of the past. It was really well done. I love what you just said about, about, you know, writers making stuff up and totally we do, but I actually didn't make up this idea of speculative memoir. And um, I think about a year ago, I read in the rumpus, something that I then looked back this morning, I came prepared you guys. And um, the rumpus printed a, a piece called what to read when you're writing speculative memoir. And it's by Lorraine Herring. And I just want to read the first paragraph of this little, what is speculative memoir. It really tells you what speculative memoir is. So it goes like this. You're looking around your room, wondering if that's a ghost you see behind the curtain or if it's just your imagination. Then you wonder why you put a just before your imagination, as if imagination is anything less than the foundation of everything, as if it could be minimized. And then you wonder if there's a part of you that believes your inner world, your dreams and hauntings and fantasies are less than because only you experience them. You wonder who taught you that. You wonder why you believed them. So this is by a woman who wrote A Constellation of Ghosts, a speculative memoir with ravens. Her name again is Lorraine Herring. And I love it because she's basically like saying, why are we the only ones who believe our inner worlds isn't our mm -hmm. inner world everything. And so speculative memoir, it, the way that I understand it, puts our inner worlds, our dreams, like belief in ghosts or belief in conjuring women, mm -hmm. which is what I said my mom was and I am. We're, we're making that real for the purpose of the story. And even though it's not real that I was there when my parents conceived me, I'm well, um, speculating on how you kind of were, you were there, right? <laughs> well, you see, exactly. It's not just my imagination. It's well, my I imagination didn't mean it which to is come real. across as you made it up. Cause I intuitively know that it's something it's, it's a thing, but I, I guess what I mean to say is that as writers, we make things up, not you, Andrew. <laughs> Although you might, but <laughs> I wish I were that clever. Yeah, I wanted to uh, mention another way that the narrator weaves us in and out of the past, and she does it with a uh, description. The first time I noticed it was when she describes her father. Uh, it's in the paragraph. This is the summer of 1967, 40 weeks before she was born and then she talks about the towel and first how gross it is to see her father in a towel and then it just seamlessly goes into 
the flabby daddy in the towel to the sexy daddy, the, the sexy zaddy in the towel. And, um, and it was okay. It was like, oh my God, is she talking about her dad being sexy? Oh my God. And, but we're going with it because we're like, because the, of the way she brought us into it. Like we didn't have time to say, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she at least stopped. She stopped when the towel hit the floor. Thank God. Yeah. Allison, he got into bed with my mom. They got into bed, but we didn't have to see the sheets moving. We didn't have to see the baby sperm coming in. Like we just, she held off. She left us something to Mm -hmm. the imagination. She didn't need to tell us about the sex. We got it. So that's why it wasn't creepy. I mean, if yeah, you went much further, for sure. I mean, we're definitely on the we're on the red line of creepiness um, <laughs> when it comes to talking about parents doing it. So the thing that turns it into a beautiful thing, it's the part when she describes her mother, you know, with the big lips, perfect teeth. And was that the dad? That's the dad. Yo, yeah, you're right. Wasn't that the dad? It was the mother with the big breast. I don't know. <laughs> she was naked and beautiful, big breasts, which you may want to psychoanalyze. I love that. And then she goes right into herself, my love and appreciation for large breasts, large breasts on other women that developed as I grew up. I mean, I, I just thought it was very perfect. Right. She took us on this mind trip of just, I keep saying time travel. Because that's what it was. And then she brings us to who she is. Um, so we know who we're, who we're talking about. It's just, it was just really a great form. The other thing, oh, that I wanted to mention in the way she told this story was the use of um, poetry. And one of the uh, methods that she used was anaphora. The... Definition of that is the repetition of a word or a phrase at the beginning of successive clauses. She did that just a little bit, but it was it was effective, and I need to find it. With it was 1967. Are you talking no, about that? No, 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 not that one. It was um, so my mom could have a child who could run free in the yard and play kickball with the neighborhood kids and not worry about getting overheated. So my mom could raise a child to love. So it's kind of like this building up. I think if she did it a third time, it will really bring it home. You know, like the Martin Luther King. <laughs> this is, yeah, Andrew is not Martin Luther King. I'm just saying like just the style and the form of just when that crescendo of just r- repetition at the beginning yeah, of a beginning of a clause just kind of swells your heart up and, you know, just brings you to a point. Anaphora. I'm going to anaphora all the time. <laughs> just walk down the I street even, and just MLK it. I didn't know what that was, but very cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I did like the repetition of it was 1967 in 1967. And, and she kept bringing us back. So we see it was 1967. Yeah. I just thought that was really well done too. Yeah. Because I'm always lost. And so it's nice to be brought back and okay, we're back there again. Okay, good. I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's definitely easier said than done to weave the present and the future together like this narrator did. And I was very impressed. I remember when she read this in Guatemala and we were all blown away. 
mean, it was one of her best prompts, like right out of the, the, your head. Like she didn't have time to think about it or anything. It just came right out. And when things like that happen, sometimes I just feel like they're meant to. Sometimes we try so hard to make something come out poetically or, or well, and this flowed. And so it was, it was a little crazy how it came together. And um, I'm very impressed. Thanks. Actually, now I remember how this prompt worked. So I watched this video class given by Beth Kephart, who's a professor at um, the University of Pennsylvania. And she's also the author of 30 books, including two about writing. So it was, it was during the pandemic, I guess. And she gave this suggestion for a prompt that I thought was so cool. And I wrote it down and I used the same prompt. I, I was like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh my God, I want to try this out on writers in our class. And I saved it up for Guatemala, for the last day in Guatemala. Um, This is how I presented it. Think of a scene you've tried to write, but couldn't because of lack of information. So either you don't remember or for some whatever reason, like this could be a trauma, it could be anything, or maybe you don't remember because you weren't actually there. And this is what I was trying to push myself to do. And so I gave the the class the option to go back to the day that you were born or even go back to the moment of your conception. And I know that sounds creepy, but um, based on whatever information you have, this is what I told the class, based on whatever information you have, write about that moment. And then I gave six kind of like teaser prompts. So number one, where was this place? And then I gave about three minutes more or less for everyone to answer these questions. So number one, where was this place? Number two, who was there? Three, when did this occur? Four, who said what? Five, what happened in the end? And six, why did this happen? I answered all those questions in class with our students. And that's how I wrote then and now the story you just heard. We'll have these questions up in the metadata so that if anybody wants to try this on their own, they can. So based on those questions, I noticed that you didn't require, the prompt didn't require to include the narrator to for the narrator to insert themselves into this. Did they all do that? Did they not? I mean, were you the only one? This was the last day of a seven day workshop. And we have been writing about ourselves every day, two or three times a day. So I think after doing that, people get used to always inserting themselves in the story, no matter what, because we pound it into them that what we care about most is the narrator. So you got to insert yourself in personal essay and memoir has to. So I think people are just Mm. groomed to do it. So this would be kind of like an advanced prompt for memoir writing people, even though anybody can do it. But yeah, I, I feel like I need to try this. I would love for everyone to try it and post your results on, um, on our Facebook page at writing class radio or on Twitter. I would love to see people's responses to this. This is a question for both of you guys. What inspires you to come up with good prompts? Because I have to say, 
when I'm coming up with prompts, I'm overthinking it. And I'm like, is this like <laughs> going to be a good one? And then like, I'm, I think I have it. And just when I am going to present it, I switch it up and it's just, you know, um, I feel like I mean, you guys do it effortlessly. Zarina, I want to tell you a secret and um, don't tell our listeners. Anything works as a prompt. Anything. Popcorn. Then you can always jump on our, our daily prompts page and just go down the list. We do have one. that on our website. Because I, I sometimes do that. Sometimes I, I look out the window and I'm like, bird feeder yep. or something that's been on my mind. And then I, I throw it out there. But some days I'm blank and I just jump on the website and I'm like, okay, write about your next door neighbor. Whatever's on there and it just comes to mind. And it's, it doesn't really matter what the prompt is. What's in your head, with the, what, your, what your students are going to hear is it's like, they're going to write about exactly what needs to come out, no matter what the prompt is. Once I tell you that secret that anything works as a prompt, another thing that I do try to do in terms of like trying to pull that pull this out of students is I do try to get them to conjure up a moment. So like the moment everything changed or like today in first draft, Allison gave the prompt, the time you lied, wow. but the time you cheated. So that's a really good prompt because it forces people to write a scene. So popcorn might force someone to write a scene if they conjure up a scene of like being in their family room with their whole family, eating popcorn, watching a movie or being in a movie theater or whatever. So that's scenes are always what we're going for. Anything works as a prompt, but a time when or a moment when sends the prompt responder right into a moment and that. That's a scene. Okay. Is there a prompt where you know, like, this one wasn't the one? Or do you think it's more about just what the students are willing to disclose? Yeah, it's not the prompt. It's just the students who are willing or not willing. Or, or maybe sometimes, you know, some prompts are duds. Like sometimes when I come up with a prompt, I mean, a lot, a lot of times when I'm writing to prompts, my prompt response doesn't, they suck. They don't get to anywhere. That's just part of the practice. That's why it's cool to write to prompts every week. For me, I like writing to prompts every week because sometimes some the prompt prompts something. Right, Allison? And sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Or you can come to class like Andrea and pretend you're sitting in the class doing a prompt. And then when you get called on, you realize <laughs> you didn't do shit. And now you have to fess up. Well, I was working on a story that I'd already started. And so I didn't want to read that because that's, that's yeah. not fair. I don't want to do that to first draft in first draft, but I use the time to write. Yeah. I don't really care if people want yeah. to come and just use that 30 minutes to write. I don't care. Sometimes people just want to listen to see what's going on and get inspired. And that's too, that's fine too. I don't write every single time. I mean, 99% of the time I do because I force myself because it's really the only time I write all week. And I think it's really good exercise for me. And then there are times I go back and I work on it and then toss it in the trash or in a file, you know, and that is so fine. You can write just for the sake of writing. You don't always have to write to get published or to work on it. It's, it's fine. Sometimes things just need to come out and we're cool with that. You know what I do? I just keep a Google doc and I just, that's what I go to every time I log into a writing class. So I have like this massive doc of prompts that 
um, I've written. That could be a main script for all I know, um, <laughs> but I just haven't gone back to it. I mean, I go back cool. to it, but, you know, I haven't gone deep down into yeah. it unless there's like one that I'm like, oh, I got to finish this one, you know. Do you know what I do? I write in my notebook. It's sort of like that. Like I keep a giant doc, but I have so many notebooks. And every once in a while, I um, go through it and I write on the top, in the top margin, like what it's about. Like, like I just opened that up to, I love to complain. That's like, if I want to write an essay about how I love to complain, there it is on that page. You know, that's a great prompt too. I don't know. People pretend they don't love to complain, but I freaking love to. So, you know, like I, I note what my prompts are about, prompt responses are about in case I want to develop them into stories. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you for listening to Andrea's story. Thank you, Andrea, for sharing your story. And thank you, Zarina, for coming on the show. Yay! Writing Class Radio is produced by Allison Langer, me, Andrea Askowitz, and by Matt Kundal and Evan Serminski at Sound Off Media Company. Theme music is by Courtney Fox. There's more Writing Class Radio on our website, writingclassradio.com, including essays to study, editing resources, video classes, writing retreats, writing prompts, and live online classes. Join our writing community by following us on Patreon. For $10 a month, I'll answer all your publishing questions. And for $25 a month, you get me answering your questions and you can join our first draft weekly writers group. You have two options. Tuesdays, 12 to 1 Eastern or Wednesdays, 6 to 7 Eastern with Zarina Fry, who you just heard today. You'll write to a prompt and share what you wrote. If you're looking to take your writing to the next level for $125 a month, you'll get first draft and second draft. In second draft, each week, three people bring in a second draft for feedback. It's awesome. Join the community that comes together for instruction and excuse to write, and most importantly, the support from other writers. To learn more and to join, go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday, so look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.